You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 14, Star Trek The Next Generation, October 1987 results. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. All you Star Trek history buffs, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, all you Trekophiles, spelled with an F, of course. And hey, do we have any statistics or math majors out there? Now, don't run, don't, don't give up on us. No, no, no. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to go to, as I think I warned a few weeks back, the R word, right? And in television, we mean the ratings, especially the way they were measured and the way that, yes, Star Trek pioneered was a breakthrough in how really a whole new kind of rating system was was studied and utilized. Again, um, we have a wonderful guest back with us to talk about that. So as always, check out the documents. And hey, we have some doozies this week. Don't be don't be blindsided by the math. There's a really pretty one in there too that you're gonna love. So check out all of that at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. I'll be right back with our special guest this week. Meanwhile, here's a little bit of deciphered text for you to whet your appetite. Take a listen. Books are in for the October 1987 sweep period, and the results are nothing short of phenomenal for Star Trek The Next Generation. Both Nielsen, 24 markets, and Arbitron, 31 markets, tell the same story. Star Trek The Next Generation is going where no show has ever gone before. All right, Trekophiles. Have you ever wondered exactly what all that gibberish means when they talk about ratings? And have you ever stopped to wonder how in the world Next Generation that was a syndicated series, which means each individual station in each individual city market bought it and showed it at its own time. Network shows are all on it Monday at 7 or Thursday at 9. You can, you can understand how you'd measure numbers against numbers with, for that show and for the shows it was competing against. But what do you do when it's syndicated and scattered all through... A local market, market by market. Well, I can think of no one else to talk about that, explain it to us, and also talk about just how incredibly revolutionary Next Generation was in that regard. Then again, our friend, he, hey, he was between Paramount and CBS. He rose the ladder over 36 years to, uh, to really run a phenomenal shop with all the, so what we'd say, the Berman era treks. He became a great Star Trek fan as well. He's now teaching at Emerson College, by the way. Still much has his hand in. John Wentworth, I'm so thrilled to welcome you back to the show. I'm glad you could join us again. Thank you, Larry. I'm thrilled to be here, and I always love talking to you, and I'm thrilled to always talk about Star Trek, one of my favorites of all time. Yes, and I'm thrilled that we've got the Trek files uh, to finally have a conversation because I still rue all the years that I walked past your office there. Uh, what, was the, what was the building? It was the Marlena Dietrich building, and my office was Dietrich 104. I remember it well for a long time. Yeah. It was just catty court. And in fact, folks, if you are familiar with locations, 
uh, on Assignment Earth, the original series, it, the front of the Dietrich building was the front of the building where Spock and Kirk supposedly met Gary Seven in his office. Just just throwing that out there. It was right there at the heart of the old Desley lot, which became the Paramount lot, and you were there so many years. Um, so, John, please, I appeal to you. <laughs> on behalf of all the TV fans over the years who have wondered what the mumbo-jumbo of ratings meant, especially you know in the original network days, uh, lead us through. Can you give us a layman's uh, 50-word ex explanation of, of what ratings are and how they're measured and what's important? Yes, I will, I will happily do that. It is, it is a potential minefield, however, I'll caution you. Um, and, 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 I, and determine the life and death of so many series and maybe even producers and actors. Yes, yes. And, and, and to those of you listening, we'll, we'll try to not bore you to tears as we go through some of this. I'll keep it as broad as I can so you can understand it. But, um, and, and suffice it to say that during my tenure there, I, I was, uh, you know, head of uh, uh, communications and, and marketing for our network shows. Uh, and there was also a, a fine head of research uh, at the time too. So that was not my job, but it was my job to convey to the media and to, uh, to viewers, you know, what the ratings were, you know, how, how were the ratings mm -hmm. for Star Trek or anything else I was working on. So to that extent, I can help you through it. Yes. Um, you know, we've talked about how uh, the Star Trek franchise, and let's talk specifically, I guess, about Star Trek The Next Generation, in this case, TNG, um, broke barriers constantly and, and all over the place. And I don't mean just in terms of subject matter and casting and, and themes, but barriers within the industry and within the business. So in the business-to-business -business world, it was breaking barriers. And in this case, as you bring up, Larry, it's, it's ratings barriers. Um, uh, you know, a syndicated show means that a studio like a Paramount makes a TV show. It's often a game show, a talk show, or a magazine show, uh, an Entertainment Tonight, a Dr. Phil, or a, uh, you know, an Ellen or a Jeopardy. These are syndicated shows that stations city by city license the show from a Paramount and air it when they want to, uh, generally uh, it's what they call early fringe or late fringe. So around primetime television, because primetime is of course filled by the networks that, uh, that are uh, affiliated with the stations. So the groundbreaking of Star Trek The Next Generation was that Paramount uh, sold it directly to stations the same way they had previously been selling Entertainment Tonight, which was, a, which was a huge syndicated hit. Now, Entertainment Tonight was a five-day-a-week, uh, you know, uh, uh, non-fiction half-hour show. Right. Here, here in Star Trek The Next Generation, we have a primetime-worthy scripted drama. And the revolution was in getting uh, 200 and some odd stations to all agree to license it and to air it. Um, the challenge is that, and you mentioned this in your intro, Larry, is that if you're talking about Cheers, which is on Thursday nights at nine o'clock, they call that airing in pattern. It's on at the same time on every station across the country. Uh, a next generation was not in pattern. Um, the window would run from Monday through Sunday. The station that licensed it could air it anytime within that window for that week's episode. Um, they generally aired on weekends, but not necessarily. But when it came to the ratings, um, it, it just meant that the Nielsen rating system, the Nielsen company, is not dumb. They know that they have huge clients in the syndicated shows as well, and they need to track those. They need to find mm -hmm. um, who's watching those shows too. And when they started 
uh, uh, tracking through at the time the diary system still in the late uh, 80s and various other me other methods. Um, after just a short couple of months being on the air, Star Trek The Next Generation kept cropping up in everybody's diaries as I watch it, I watch it, I watch it, whether it's in Boston, you know, on Saturdays at seven or it's in uh, Des Moines Thursdays at 4 p.m., who knows? Um, and it added up to incredible, impressive amount of people on a nationwide basis watching the show, so much so that it was being watched by more people than were watching some of the primetime shows. Make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I just want to say on a personal note that I, the irony that my market back, back home, home, Oklahoma City, I always felt like for some reason they showed it after the local news on Sunday night. So when you had that Monday to Sunday window, I always felt like unless we cheated and caught a satellite feed, <laughs> we were the last people in the country to get Next Generation. I think they you're right. They love that slot because they would say, what else are we going to do to get these kind of ratings Sunday at 1030? And I'd say, well, that's kind of bass Hackward's logic, but okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> right. And Larry, that, I'm so glad you brought that up because if I could segue from that to this point, that also speaks to how incredibly well-received Star Trek The Next Generation was. And that is this. Let's say in Oklahoma City, it aired Sundays at 1030. Well, typically before Star Trek The Next Generation, that station that aired it, for years before that, probably aired a rerun of some other drama or a rerun of a game show, let's say, and maybe they had a, let's just throw it out there, they'd had a three rating, and let's say a three rating translates to 30,000 people. Well, in this case, if you're going into a time period with Star Trek The Next Generation that normally gets 30,000 people, but it gets 130,000 people, this is another barrier that it's breaking, another milestone, another incredible achievement that that show was doing, Gra gathering that amount of viewership in a time period when people were typically not even watching television. It just spoke to the power of that show and the treks that followed it as well. You know, they, they all uh, did very, very well, but it really blazed the trail for, um, for first run syndicated drama shows. Um, it paved the way because before that there was no such thing. Right, right. Well, <laughs> it sure frustrated us, you know. And, and I'm hey, sure, of course. And, what, and that was an NBC affiliate station. Mm -hmm. And the minute who, who still had AFL or AFC football, and the minute you got into overtimes and the whole schedule got bumped, you, you know, your time shifting went out the window. And we all just learned to set a VCR and not even worry about time. You yeah. had to catch it, right? Exactly. It was frustrating, but it yes, it is a testament to how powerful it was on every kind of market, large and small. But, but back to the ratings here, so how these syndicated ratings, and again, we're not doing a, a seminar on how to do syndicated ratings, but it's amazing that they were able to come up with a, a measurement system to do that, but they mm -hmm. certainly did. And what did it say? You were there, seeing mm -hmm. these numbers come in a month, and with all the nervousness, mm -hmm. not just on getting Next Generation as an experiment and can you capture, you know, can you get lightning in a bottle again? What will the, mm -hmm. you know, sequelitis, the curse of a sequel... All of that and the chaos on the bridge from the writing side that now we know about. But then on the business side, making this new model work. I mean, how, how, what a relief this must have been to see the numbers coming in like this. Did it, it exceed expect? Did it blow you out of the water? Uh, yes, it exceeded expectations. Um, it made me admire more than I had previously my colleagues at Paramount, from our chairmen and presidents of programming. Uh, to every other department and and to Berman and his his, his team, um, 
it, it was just beyond impressive. And when you spoke of, uh, again, Oklahoma City and Sundays at 1030, another uh, example of the power of Star Trek The Next Generation was that WCVB Channel 5, a powerhouse, huge station in Boston, uh, I don't remember what season it was, maybe by season two or three, decided to air Star Trek uh, Saturday nights in prime time, bumping whatever the ABC network was supplying it. Um, and that was unheard of. Uh, that, uh, you know, Channel 5, basically by contract with a ABC, the network it's affiliated with, has to air and carry their shows. But uh, to some extent, of course, they can make their own programming decisions. And nothing like this had really come up before, where they had licensed Star Trek The Next Generation, knew that this is a humongous hit and popular and really tapping into the zeitgeist and it was buzzed about and publicized you know, nationally, said, wait a minute, we have a show here that shouldn't be on Sundays at 1030, let's say. It needs to be on prime time, somewhere between you know, 8 p.m. And, and 11 p.m. And they did that. And there might have been other examples, but that's the first one I remember. I, well, I was going to say, I think that picked up, but I, it's either a case of they're either paying for the network show that they're not using, or maybe they're even paying a penalty. I don't know how that works, but basically the numbers, the business model is working enough. They're charging ad rates That's right. better than what they would have had for the network show because it's a more That's popular right. show. That's exactly and that right. Took, and I know that wasn't the last time that I remember that happening mm -hmm. in, in, in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. we're looking at, I'm looking at these pages. There's a lot of numbers here. A lot of, is there something key that when people look at ratings, they should, uh, and these again are kind of odd because it's Arbitron and Nielsen syndicated. Mm -hmm. um, but is there something we talk about numbers and share? Is there something to really pay attention or, or is that all just in context? It's, it's sort of in context and it gets a little complicated, but I think- And hopefully, and hopefully we're going to keep the audience awake while we yes, talk exactly. about it. Yes, exactly. Yes. So <laughs> it's hard to do. Here we go. Yeah, let's just say to keep you awake that uh, that um, it, it's just a matter of adding up people who are watching it and the methodology and the diaries and whatever other mechanisms don't really matter to you. But at the end of the day, when they added up the people that were watching Star Trek The Next Generation, it far exceeded what our expectations had been but it exceeded what the industry's expectations were. And I think even the stations that were carrying it. And it led to things like what we talked about, the, the affiliate in Boston, moving it into prime time. It led to an ad that uh, we've been referring to that was placed by our division that used to sell the advertising within Star Trek the next, the next Generation. They needed to let advertisers know, the Gillettes and the Ford Motor Companies of the world know, if you advertise in this show, you're gonna be reaching more men in Star Trek The Next Generation than the than the whatever show is on network TV that attracts as many men as possible, well, NFL, Monday Night Football, or right. whatever the case might have been. Well, yeah. let's let's direct everybody back to our docs okay. of the week again because this is this is one of the the prettiest ones that we've uh, had in a long time, and okay. it's certainly more eye grabbing yeah. than yeah a bunch of a bunch of numbers on a page. You yeah. took again, your it was somebody else's research office that put the numbers together. Your mm -hmm. job was to make that accessible to an audience and make it make sense. And my gosh. I remember these spreads in the trades, and I remember them coming in the promo mailings that went out on top of people that weren't normally reading Variety and Hollywood Reporter. But you made sure and get this across the country with the local, uh, you know, the the local station listings and the local uh, episode listings. That's Just right. beautiful artwork. Yep. And it tells the story right there. What you just said. Looky here. Um, uh, men, eighteen to forty-nine, a key demo. Here is Star Trek beating Monday Night Football. 
Cheers, Roseanne, Coach, in 60 minutes. This is insane. Yeah. Insane. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> in a good and, way. And, in a good way. And when we sat there at Paramount, we're like, we have something hugely valuable on our hands. This is incredible. And we need to let the advertisers know um, uh, how potent this show is and how many, uh, in this case, this in this demo of Men 18 to 49, how many they're reaching. And uh, because it's, it's the kind of thing that'll make you shake your head and like, really? Is that true? Tell me that again. I have to believe that. So we had to put it in a very uh, eye-catching, um, uh, easy-to-read ad that was in a business-to-business publication for, as I say, for the advertisers to read about and understand that. Uh, as it affected the consumer, it just meant that, uh, you know, if you were watching The Next Generation, you were onto something that the rest of the nation was in love with and watching. And everybody likes to know that they're watching a winner. You know, you don't want to think you're watching the show that nobody else is into. You want to watch the show that people are making a hit. Right. And so right. it's important to convey that it's successful. So, and we should just remind everybody: we're talking pre-social media here. This is yes. November 1991 sweeps month when the the big focus on two or three times a year there'd be a big focus on uh, measuring all the That's series right. so they could have bragging rights. People That's would right. pick their best shows in those time windows, the old days of sweeps. Let me ask you, because you, you retired from the studio, but you've been mm-hmm. teaching, so you're very mm-hmm. much part of this. Let's just wrap up. What's we're in streaming now. How much of this is still applicable to the streaming shows? I know we follow because it's how do you measure ratings on streamers? What's you know, what what what's the challenge like there for someone in your job? Um, it, it, it's such an understatement to say that it's changed so much. It has changed so much, Larry, um, that even since I left in 2017, uh, it has changed so much. And the it I refer to is the measuring of audiences. You know, the streaming services, unlike broadcasters, have have no, uh, you know, FCC uh, um, uh, author, uh, authority or anything. So they can do what they want to do and need to do. And for the longest time, uh, my understanding was they were not revealing uh, viewership, who was watching what and when. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter as long as you're subscribing to your streaming service. Uh, what do you care? Um, but I think you've seen, we've all seen uh, in uh, just more recent years, how Netflix uh, specifically, and probably others uh, now categorize, uh, you know, different segments on the home screen. And one of them is trending on Netflix or now popular or top in the USA, which speaks to my point from 1987, which is conveying to consumers, watch these hits, because if it's a hit, you might like it. And so they're still using the same page out of the old playbook, which is, uh, you know, if if it's a hit show, let people know because they'll want to watch the hit show. And that's what they're doing right now. How many people are watching that show on Netflix that's number three trending in the USA? I I have no idea. And I don't believe that they reveal that. Um, What we do know, and it's, uh, you know, uh, quite obvious, is that the ratings for network primetime programming, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox programming, is way, way down uh, from a a decade ago, let's say, even even more recently, Um, which isn't to say people aren't watching those shows, but they're watching them in many different ways. They're watching them on the broadcasters, streaming platforms, and there's still a humongous appetite for television, as we know. And um, and social media helps underscore that as well when you see the buzz on social media about certain programming. Right. Right. Well, again, uh, the more things change, the more they do stay the same. And some of the systems may be different. We're slicing the pie up in a lot more thinner slices than we did back in the day. But it's for sure. The main game is still there. John, this has been so revelatory. I I just have to say those ads that you all prepared uh, were just 
they, they really were shocking, not just for the advertisers, but for the lay public. It really, because syndicated shows is a bit of mystery. They didn't turn up every week in the Nielsen top 10 and top 100. That's and right. so to break through that wall and just publicize this, hey guys, you're not hearing this story. That's right. Here's the shocking news. Yeah, and it, amazing. Yeah, and it made it incumbent on my, my department. And I think uh, in previous conversations, I've alluded to uh, the very brilliant Meryl Cullen and her department that uh, we had to convey to uh, in business to business form and to consumers the success of this show. And it took the form of ads and press releases and all kinds of ways to get it out there. Yeah, pre-social yeah. media. Well, and and uh, and we're still living with the benefits of that. And John, uh, listen, thanks so much for coming in, ex explaining the unexplainable and also uh, just shedding a little bit more light on this whole realm of it, because at the core of everything, I know you you became a huge Trek fan yourself and still follow it all. And um, uh, anyway, thanks so much for coming along and being with us again today. My absolute pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment, please do, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, yeah, that's me, at larrynimacek.com. And hey, have you checked out The Trek Files' new swag and shirts? At the Trekland shop at tpublic.com slash stores slash trekland hyphen shop trek well everybody this is a roddenberry podcast for more great podcasts visit podcast.roddenberry.com